This message is brought to you by IOM America and the International Fellowship of Exchange Life. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. But we do uh, want to welcome our online listeners this morning, particularly the uh, church plant of Liberia. And for those of you who are listening online, we have started a Heartland Family Fellowship of Liberia. So we welcome you listeners this morning, and we pray that as you are um, working at our goals and our initiative in your country, that many, many people would be blessed because of it. Repentance for the physical area of life is our title. We are now in the process of unfolding the seven areas of the seven areas of life. For example, we're going to start with the first area of life today, and that is the physical area of your life. There are seven attributes that we're going to cover, and there is a message, one for each attribute. And this morning is repentance. Every area of life always starts with the attribute of repentance. From repentance we go into identification in Christ. What does our identity in Christ have to do with the physical area of life? From there we go into the title of discipline. How does discipline affect the physical area of life? From discipline we go into uh, the fruit of the Spirit. How does the fruit of the Spirit come out of after applying repentance and applying identification of Christ and from identification of Christ, discipline and from discipline, fruit of the Spirit and then vision and victory. We, we, we cover every aspect that we possibly can scripturally to that particular area of life. So this morning we start with repentance of the physical area of life. So most of the time, exchange life workers do not apply the identity truths to the seven areas of life, but primarily focus, think about this now, primarily focus on the spiritual area of life. Now if someone sat me down and said, okay Finney, what is the big difference between your ministry who focuses on the seven areas of life and someone else's ministry of the exchange life and it's primarily about teachings that affect the spiritual area of life or that person's spiritual growth. Here's the difference. I believe that there are seven parts of each aspect of our identity in Christ. Not one, but seven. There are very, very few ministries worldwide that view your identity in Christ from the point of seven areas of life. They usually stick to one area, and that is the spiritual area. The problem with that is everything is about your growth in Christ. Growth in Christ. Growth in Christ. Growth in Christ. You say, well, isn't that great? No, it's not great. 
because it's not addressing the practical elements of the seven areas of life. How does that affect a marriage? How does that affect our human bodies? How does that affect our psychological life? How does that affect these areas? So because we are born into the fallen world as members of the fallen race, repentance, identification has become one of the most important responsibilities of our lives, particularly to those of us who are discipling. So if Shannon comes in every week for discipleship, week after week after week after week, and I don't lead him to repentance, but I do lead him to identification in Christ. Someone please tell me what kinds of problems I'm going to end up having in discipling Shannon. I would say that Repentance is the least established habit, lack of a better term, that is in the Christian world today. So what I will do is I'll actually develop a double-minded man. I will increase his knowledge of the exchanged life to such a significant level that he's never been really shown the practical elements of how to reduce himself to join the identification truths. And that has to take place through repentance. Moment by moment, since sin is a moment by moment occurrence, application of the cross must be applied to that particular sin that dwells in us, that is not us. If you want to please underline that, by the way, for now on, we keep all of our notes right there by the coffee pot. So you can actually write on those note papers additional notes to what has already been printed on the screen. But I would underline that is not us. That is an identity statement. Even for indwell believers in the Lord that know their identity in Christ need to consistently be reminded that they are redeemed out of a fallen race and that there are temptations that are subtle deceptions of the flesh that frequently bring defeat. Even though that defeat is temporary. Now stay with me on this. If Satan can put 20 temporary sins in line overlapping each other, what is going to happen to the psyche or the psychological aspects of that indwelt believer? 20 sins overlapping each other that are all temporary. In other words, they're running out of time and space. What's going to happen to that indwelt believer? That indwelt believer is going to start believing that sin still reigns in their mortal body. That indwelt believer is going to start believing that sin has a power over their mortal body. 
that Christian, that indwelt Christian is going to start believing that sin is my master again. That indwelt believer is going to start believing everything opposite of what the Word says. They will start to function defeated. You know, as early as just an hour ago, DK was sharing with me about the t last couple weeks that just kind of been a dry spell for his spiritual life and blah, 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 blah. And actually, in my mind, that's just blah, 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 blah stuff. Because the truth of the matter is, he hasn't changed in and of Jesus Christ, not one bit during that two weeks. But what the enemy likes to do is layer attitudes, reactions, whatever it is, just layer them. So when you get done with one, you can barely get a breath and you're into the next one. So pretty soon you're starting to function as a defeated Christian, into a Christian who's living in, not of, in a lie. That's how it works. Here's our uh, Hebrew. So we have kaf, which is to cover, to open, or to allow. And the English translate that out as the palm. Okay? And then we have the bet. And what's that picture of, cowboy? Uh, this way. Yeah, what's the picture of? Uh, this way. It's a picture of a house. Yeah. yeah. And the house means household, in, into, family, and the English translation is tent or house. And then we have the ayin, which is the I, which translates in the Hebrew as to see, to know, experience. The English translation of that is the I. Okay? Alright, so you guys can hand those in. Here's what it means. Seven in Hebrew means to open the house and see. Now, think about this now. Seven is the perfect number. Six is the number of man. Six means falling short just a little bit. Satan himself, even though six, six, six has been the number assigned to Satan, it's very deceptive because Satan doesn't get a number. Six, six, six is the mark of man, but it's put in the form of a trinity, which we'll talk about another day. But it's, it's man's number. Seven is God's number. The seven areas of life. The seven attributes. The 77 truths we're working on. Seven is a beautiful number and perfect number for God. And it means to open the house and see. So what seven is, is it's revealing it's lifting up the tent door and, and saying to the children of God, come and see. You see, there was a veil, a very thick veil that was between the people and the Holy of Holies. 
Actually, there were several layers in there before you could even get to that thick veil. Christ coming and dying on the cross ripped that veil so that God himself as the Father can say, come and see the seven. Seven is one of God's names. Every human name is numerically, has a numeric association. And I don't want to explain that whole thing right now because it's very extensive in doing so, but every word has a number. And Ian, have we been learning in Hebrew about the numbers associated with each letter? Yeah, each of the letters is assigned a numeric value. So literally, we could, in an advanced class, for example, I could take these boys into the numeric coding of Hebrew. It'll blow your mind. You can take every Hebrew letter for every Old Testament book, and it actually is a verse in the Bible. I know there's coding, Bible coding, you know, books that are out there, movies that are out there. It's very dangerous area to mess with because I don't think we're supposed to mess with it. But God is into numeric value. Seven means to come. I will open my door. I will reveal myself to you. That is seven. There are seven applications that must be applied in appropriation of the cross. And here's what these seven areas are. These are the seven attributes I was referring to. Repentance, identity truths, discipline, obedience, fruit of the spirit, victory, and vision. Now I have shared with you this textbook that I've been working on for some time the chapters and then the subchapters are all laid out in this fashion. The seven areas of life and then the seven attributes under each one of those areas. And once I'm done with this whole thing, when we add it up, there will be 77 identity truths because identity really does matter. So once these applications are appropriated in and through Christ within the indwelt believer, victory can be seen, said, and literally used as a testimony. Because it's in a permanent fixture situated in that person's life. That's how this whole thing has to work. Seen then said, and it's permanence. It's a part of their life, situated. Repentance is a definite con, uh, con thank you, contrition of the core of an indwelled believer, which results in the change of action. And without repentance, there is no true and lasting change of behavior. This step is ceasing and going back. It's actually reversing. And if you remember the Hebrew definition of repentance, someone want to remind me what that word picture is? Yeah. 
we sang about this morning. That's why I picked the song. Burn away in me anything that's not of you but is of me. The Hebrew definition of repentance is to burn the tent in which you came from. So when you turn around and look at this tent, it's burned, it's gone, it's torch, it's ashes. There's nothing to come back to. Justification, just as if I have never sinned. The Hebrew word picture repentance is that burning tent, which means there is nothing really to go back to. So now when we look at Psalms 119.59, I considered my ways and turned my feet toward your testimonies. Here's what repentance is. It is not an action of falling on your face and coming up with some kind of ritual to cleanse yourself of your bad guilty attitude. That's what the Western church has really made it. Come down front, get them to feel guilty, pour it out, get rid of the guilt, and they're fine. Well, Q's testimony just proved that doesn't work. Stay with me on this and stay with the scriptures. It is coming to a point where you are literally turning from your testimony to his testimony. It has nothing to do with anything else other than that. Your testimony, his testimony. It's the only thing I listen for when people tell their testimony is if they have clearly communicated my testimony versus Christ in me's testimony. And if that doesn't come out, it is my responsibility to disciple that person into embracing what true repentance is, and that is turning my feet toward his testimonies. His stories, in other words. What to know? In regard to our physical bodies, there's fra they, these frail vessels that we live in are miraculous believe it or not, the temple of the Holy Spirit. They are a temple, flawed as they are. There's sin literally in every cell in our body, but yet this body is a temple. If we could really view us the way God views us, and as he looks down upon this temple, all he's seeing is a pure Holy Spirit who represents Jesus Christ who's preaching in that church, that temple. Just as in churches the outer walls are deteriorating, the floors are deteriorating, the, the windows get dirty and so forth and so on, but the pure fact is is that is a temple structure for preaching to occur. That is how we are supposed to be viewing our human bodies. We must tap into those individuals and ministries to have an experiential understanding of the exchanged life. Once we truly understand that God has put together a whole team all over the world of people who believe 
they understand of my testimony versus Christ in me. They actually get it. We need to partner with those people, whether they're in this town or whether they're in another country. Or do we not know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. God came into town and he says, uh, okay, I'm going to buy Q's body. He pays for it with the very blood of his son. He paid for that building so that the Holy Spirit could be put in him to accomplish God's work. It's not to make him happy. It's not to give him a pleasant life. It's not to have him, you know, fulfilling joy and peace and contentment as a Christian. Anyone who believes like that has been more than westernized. They are deceived into believing a reason for Christianity that doesn't exist. Not in God's mind. He bought that building. He paid a life price for it so that he could put the Holy Spirit inside that body so that Holy Spirit could start preaching and teaching to literally have an effect on lives all over the world. Has nothing to do with Q. But the Western church has made it about God loves you, Jesus loves you. If I, if I read one more poster about Jesus' love, I think I'm going to get sick. The love is obvious of God. We don't need to do posters on it. That is just obvious. He loves us. Why he loves us is a good question to ask. And that's not being asked much. Next point. As uh, convicting as it is for me to write this or preach on it this morning, any misuse of the property of God by abuse or overwork, by laziness, indulgence, or employing it for wrong purposes is sin against the owner and requires repentance on all of our parts. Why? Because we don't own it. So therefore, ownership really is at the base of what we do. If I freely use it to advance something other than God, I believe I'm the owner of it. If you say to someone, please don't do that because of how it's affecting your wife, your children, or blah, 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 and they're like looking at you like, who, who made you my boss? You're not my daddy. You're not my father. What they're actually confessing to you is, I own myself. Which means they don't understand the entry point of salvation. The purpose of being possessed by the Holy Spirit. The purchasing. The business deal that took place between God and Satan. God knew it required a payment. Satan was not going to grace him. Satan was not going to let him get away with anything less than God giving up his son. That was the payment for your temple, his temple, your body. 
We need to allow the Holy Spirit to search ourselves and those we are discipling for statements bearing on abuse of the body, for poor habits, eating, sleeping, using alcohol, drugs, exercise, sexual activity, working, occupation with appearance, enticing others essentially with the way we dress and other forms of uncleanliness. Christ in you is quick to bring these to mind. It's not to make the person feel guilty. It's to help us see as the discipler and them as the disciplee what areas that they're still struggling with giving up. And just the awareness of giving up. You see what I mean? Just the awareness of what you have to give up, you will be delivered. And if you don't believe that, then you don't understand how deliverance works. But deception of what you need to be delivered from, if you keep that deceived, you won't be delivered. See, it works the same way backwards. So getting people to share with somebody what it is that they're struggling with is a critical part of their deliverance. So how do we do this is the, is the big question, of course. You guys have seen this diagram before. Those of you who are listening to this online, you might need to go back to our media library. And if you look in the bottom right-hand corner of the media, which you clicked on in order to get this audio message, you will see a little PDF symbol. Click on that PDF symbol, and it will open up actually the sermon notes for this message. Scroll down to this diagram. It is REP-104. That is the U-turn repentance diagram. Nothing is going to happen until there's an honest appraisal. You can push for a change of mind, a change of your will, a change of your feelings, a change of your conduct, which is usually where people start, and a confession and restitution attitude, not going to happen, I'm afraid, until there's an honest appraisal. Honest appraisal is simply this. I have granted you permission to see me naked. The scripture is clear on this statement. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. After the fall, Adam and Eve were naked and became ashamed. Stay with me on this. God stepped up and said, I will clothe you. He literally took some leaves and vines from his creation and he clothed them because they were naked and ashamed. From that one decision, from that one truth, the list that I covered with you in the last slide about sensuality and immorality and all these impurities comes from that one moment. From that day forward, everything that God put on the bodies of Adam and Eve, Satan took off. Exposing each other, which Christians are 
very good at. Why does God cover a multitude of sins with his love? Love is classified as the obvious blanket that you need because you are ashamed of your sin. What do we do? We yank the blanket off like Satan does it. An accuser of the brethren. Instead of putting the blanket on. That's the love of God. That's common sense, supposedly. We've turned our whole church mission into that blanket. But that is not God's objective. That's just to get them covered so that he can address the shame. Someone please tell me what trouble one of Noah's sons got into and what sin he committed that got him this curse that is affecting every generation since. What's that? Who did? And what did the other two brothers do? They not only covered him up, they backed in. They went and they got a blanket. One brother on one side, Shem on one, and, and uh, Japheth on the other. And they backed in. Their naked father is back there. They backed in, laid the blanket down, covered his sin, and came out of the tent. Ham just walked in there and exposed his father's sin. That's two different styles of ministry. Noah wakes up, who gets cursed, and his generations after that? Ham. You don't think that that fight is still going on to this day? I promise you before the Lord Jesus Christ that the war in the end times, the final battle is going to be between Ham and his two brothers. Between that cursed race, which has literally rised up as the most powerful religious group, as I read this week, in the entire world. And it's the children, the descendants of Ham. Which Ishmael showed up as one of those. And from Ishmael forward, it's easy to track in history. But that is what happened just from this whole symbol and principle and truth of the blanket covering. Uncovering or covering. Uncovering or covering. Every sin is based around that concept. And the blood of Jesus covering our sins. And another beautiful aspect of what you're saying is that the Old Testament says there's identity in the blood. So really what you're covering the person's sins with is their identity in Christ. Identity really does matter. And to have the exchange life listed as number four most threatening religious movement worldwide that the government literally has us on their list now targeting because people who understand their identity are completely immovable. They're immovable. Even if your identity is in Allah, you're immovable. You're a threat. So actually when I saw that in World Magazine, I went, it's about time we get on the list. And it's separate from Christianity. 
evangelical Christianity. The reason why it's separate is because there's a lot of groups out there claiming Christianity that are not indwelt believers. And the Exchange Live people are claiming immovability on Christ in me eternally. And I am also in Christ. So this turning, this considering turning, nothing's going to happen over here until this takes place in a person's life. And you know what? Sometimes, many times, most of the time, God has to wait many, many years to have conversion in a specific area of the seven areas of life. Years. Does that mean that that person is disappointing to God? Opposite. It just simply means that God is going to take his blanket through his son and cover a multitude of sins that you commit and that I commit until that identity absorbs and changes and converts in that one area of life. So it takes us to really appropriate who we are in Christ and be able to stay with each other until the very end because everyone is going to sin again. And as John said, anyone who says it's sin, that they do not sin, is a liar. You see, there's no such thing as sinless perfection while we're here on earth because sin reigns in our mortal bodies. Everyone needs the blanket. Everyone needs to be covered so we can deal with the shame. Please, please remember that. You cover, you don't reveal people, you cover so you can deal with the shame. But you can't deal with their shame if they're sitting there naked and they feel naked. So a true testimony is being transparent allowing the person to deal with the things that I believe make me shameful. Because once you apply the identity truths, as most of us know here, there is no shame. God doesn't shame us. And that's what causes the conversion. Here's our final statement. Stay with me on this, please. All these bodily manifestations and abuses are evidence of Godship attempting to play God in our given world. These areas of playing God are usually a result of rejection inflicted upon us by our self-life and by others throughout our lives. Q's testimony kept going back to his rejection experience. His rejection experience his rejection experience. That's what formed his Godship, his rejection experience. We are going to spend a lot of quality teaching on the relationship between Godship and rejection from this day forward. If a person is not ready or willing to have these sins addressed, they will reveal attitudes of resistance or even arguments. Now, those of you who've been, who have been through the discipleship process yourself and you're also discipling others, you know there is a very...
common technique that medical doctors use that you have learned to use yourself in discipleship? Why does a doctor poke at you? To see if you say, ouch. Why does a doctor want you, want to hear if you're going to say ouch or not? Exactly. So they're pushing and squeezing and trying to find out and isolate the exact part of the body in which there's trouble. That is a good discipler. They're poking, touching, moving, squeezing, seeing where this person starts resisting. That's your area to start working on. To apply the blanket, to start dealing with the issue of the lies they suffer with from their shame. So this person who is unwilling to have these sins addressed, it is our responsibility to find out where those points of, instead of points of light, they're points of resistance. And you need to be okay with them. Don't fight them, reject them, or embarrass them. It's okay. You found a sore spot. You should be rejoicing that God has revealed this sore spot. Both should be. God is interested in loving, lovingly revealing these manifestations of the self-life and begin the healing process through the mind of Christ within us and by external scriptures, the Holy Word. And he wants us to understand the principles of sowing and reaping. He is also interested in helping us see how rejection may have resulted from our own acts of playing God. Now, some very simple things have been stated today. And some very complicated things have been said today. And I'm interested in hearing your testimony about what you heard today. What stands out to you today regarding repentance in the physical area of life? Our bodies are the VU meters on the stereo. And it tells us how much power is, is, is coming through. And almost, it also tells us how much self-life. We have a self-life meter and we have a Christ-in-you meter. Both are at work and they're at war with each other. For the spirit wages war against the flesh and the flesh wages war against the spirit. And God has given us these meters to watch. To see who's winning. Well, Christ is one in the end, no matter how much the self-life is being used. Yeah, but it's even beyond uh, belief, though, because I do believe that there are a great deal of Christians who understand that they're seated at the right hand of God today. They're already there. But because of sin that dwells within us, that is not us, as Paul said, we can't marry that idea in its perfection until we step over to the other side. The mortal body literally stops us from embracing fully who we are in Christ. It's, but it's just the way we, it is. We need to encourage each other to get through this little part of the journey 
because as we read yesterday, we're only a vapor. Who do we think we are when we are only a vapor in God's eternal plan? And we get all wired up about all the stuff during that time of a vapor. How long does it take for a vapor to be vaporized? Not very long. This is the way it is, and we need to remember this covering versus uncovering. God himself put a covering between him and the people because of the shame of the people. After the cross, not so. Nakedness. No shame. Of course, God wasn't speaking of clothing on that issue. He was speaking of your spiritual walk. We want to thank you for listening in on our podcast today. This message comes to you by way of a podcast feed from Heartland Family Fellowship, a family-integrated church, which is an outreach of IOM America, right here in Sterling, Kansas. For more information about our church or international ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org. And if you would like to connect to our fellowship, log on to www.heartlandfellowships.org. It's our prayer that the mind of Christ in you draws you into a deeper walk with Him.